1: I'm John Gibson, and this is Gibbo's Corner. This is my chance to take you behind the headlines of some of the greatest Newcastle United stores. Thanks for listening, and please remember
0: to like and subscribe. Sponsored by Hoshin Motor Group, the Northeast number one family owned Toyota, Mazda, and Suzuki dealership group. Hello, and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for another episode of Gibbo's Corner. Joined here by John Gibson. It's been a while, hasn't it, John?
1: It has indeed. It has indeed. We've been basking in Newcastle United results recently, if not performances,
0: but we're back again. The road to Wembley awaits. Now, we've been scratching our heads, uh, trying to come up with a new topic for Gibb's Corner, and someone actually messaging off Twitter to say, what about Kenny Daglish yeah. and uh, his dismantling of the entertainers and that's what we've gone with Uh give him his dive into his notes as usual he's got half a forest with him and over the next (laughs) hour or so we are going to look at the daglish years dismantling of the entertainers john um on paper given that he'd won the premier league title with blackburn replacing kevin keegan Yep. with Ken Daglish didn't look like the worst appointment
1: well it, it was Alan Shearer inspired uh, appointment to be truthful um, because Alan Shearer had been the centre-forward in the Blackburn side, of course, that won the title under Dalglish. And if you remember, Dalglish had won the title with Liverpool as manager as well, and he was the only manager at that stage to have won the title with two separate clubs. Um, So to an outsider, it would look like a very good appointment and also a legendary player, uh, as Kevin Keegan was, um, to replace a legendary player. And if you look back from a distance, time-wise, like we are now, when you hadn't been around in the Dalglish years, it would look a huge success. He was only here 20 months, 1997 to ninety-eight, but in that time, we finished Premier League runners-up and reached the FA Cup final. So on the surface, it looks like a success. In reality, it was anything but, because Dalglish inherited uh, a wonderful, vibrant squad... Uh, that was on the up and up that had captivated everybody Kevin Keegan's entertainers and in that 20 months he significantly dismantled a lot of the top players and replaced a lot of the time badly and um, therefore all the impetus that we'd had from the entertainers years was to disappear in that 20
0: months despite the two standout things that occurred of course, we'll go through the list of players that he got rid of and the ones yep. he brought in. But yep. just going back to that initial appointment, it's well known now, we've covered it in, in this podcast, mm. that it was between Kenny Daglish and Sir Boy Robson. Sir John Hall wanted Sir Bobby. The other half of the board were more leaning towards Yeah, But at the time, how much did the fans know about what was going on you know, regarding that managerial search? I, I don't think in, in any great
1: detail. Um, yes, we were floating stories and other people were floating stories about what was happening. But um, I, I think with Bobby, with, uh, John, people would accuse in those days, you see, if John Hall goes for Bobby Robson, well, it's the older guy going for the older guy. And then there's the the vibrant young people, i.e. Douglas Hall, etc going for the younger man with a great track record in management, Dalgish. Dalgish had a great track record in management, won the Premier League with two separate clubs. Um, Kevin Keegan had no um, uh, tradition in management whatsoever when he came to Newcastle, never managed anybody. But there were very, very different characters and the whole impetus. Newcastle United ought to have gone on from the entertainers' years to have become established as one of the big-time clubs success-wise in this country, and not just well-known for 52,000 fans, but for success on the field. They ought to have done that. We we lost hugely all impetus during, during that period, and... Um, Even though, for example, um, it's on Kenny Dalglish's record that he finished Premier League runners-up with Newcastle, in fact, he didn't come in that season we finished runners-up for the second successive season. He didn't come in till January, so really it was very much the Kevin Keegan side. He continued to steer through the second half of that season. And so really it was KK that produced the 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 basis of two successive Premier League runners-up. And, of course, the second Premier League runners-up was never of the quality of the original one under Keegan, where at one time Newcastle... Everybody talks about Newcastle blowing a 12-point lead, but nobody talks about we actually got a 12-point lead, which was incredible to have done, and that's how good that side was. Um the second the side that did it for the second year really never looked as though they were at any stage gonna overhaul Manchester United. They were on the coattails and the finish there and fine. Um it was a very, very good performance. But as I say, we lost an awful lot of impetus. But it was funny, you know, I always said with Newcastle United, um we appoint we had some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful world-class players. The only the only difficulty, the only tragedy was, we didn't have them as players, we had them as managers. And if you think of Oscar Dele, as a World Cup winner. Kenny Dalglish, is there anybody better as a player? Rud Hullett, oh, I mean, frightening as a player. Graham Souness, great as a player. We had four great, great players, but we had them as managers, and none of the four... Actually, did anything for Newcastle United or not remembered with any affection? Yet, I always remember when Kenny Dalglish first came to England, as and that was as a player to Liverpool, having made his name with Celtic. He was replacing Kevin Keegan, Liverpool. Ironically, the same as he replaced Kevin Keegan at Newcastle United as manager. And everybody thought KK won the, the Champions League with Liverpool, went off to do his thing. He was always a restless soul. He never hung around for for ten years anyway, KK and he went off to Hamburg to do his thing out there, etc, etc. And Liverpool suddenly as European Cup winners had to lose their their prodigal son. Um and what were they going to do about it? They got Dalglish in, and his home debut, ironically, uh, back in August of 77, uh, was against Newcastle United. So I was there with Newcastle to see the game. And um, I always remember, he was absolutely sensational. I mean, he scored against Newcastle and he was absolutely out of this world. You sat at the end of the game and even though York team had lost you you felt it a privilege to have seen the performance that you just witnessed now I always said as a player Kevin Keegan was self-made and Dalglish was made in heaven Keegan had to work to be what he was and and well done him for doing that he worked his socks off to be a good player Dalglish it was all a gift and Mm. he was quite sensational
0: Two very different characters as well. I mean, oh. um, equally as charming, but in terms of um, how would you say, like, kind of lighting up the room, very different. Um, but if you look at the pictures of when Daglish was unveiled, and the amount of fans that came out to welcome him, he did look a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights. Um, with the uh, you can find them on our website, no doubt, um, and the pictures on YouTube as well. And then you look at you know his opening run of games. Well, in Castle he lost two games. Um, in the games he had in that second half of the season. There was a famous 4-3 against Leicester uh, that he, he, he led the team to. So fans are probably thinking, hey, nothing's going to change. That's That same kind of ethos of you score one, we'll score one more.
1: Yeah, although that wasn't actually Kenny Dalglish's way of playing football at all. Um, there, was, there was a significant difference, actually. I think you're all going to be seduced When you see somebody as charismatic as Kevin Keegan and then he is followed by another huge, huge name like Kenny Dalglish, you're going to say, wow, this is us cooking. In fact, as people, there was a huge and significant difference, not only in the way they played. Dalglish was never as off the cuff in his style of play as Kevin Keegan had been. Um, And... uh, he was also such a different character. Um, Alan Shearer insists, and Big Al's a very good friend of mine, I love him to death and I'm so grateful for what he did for us and he knows because he was in the dressing room at both Blackburn and Newcastle. He always insisted in the dressing room, Kanye was as fun as it was possible to be. And I'll take Alan's word for that. But I tell you what, in the public eye, he wasn't. He was the most dour, sometimes surly character possible. Did not like to go in front of the television cameras or the press conferences. Didn't like to do that at all. Um, And when you think of how charismatic Keegan was in dealing with fans, you know, be it face-to-face on selfies or, or... uh, chats with fans doing his road shows which i did with kevin keegan and you wouldn't get that out of kenny Dalglish. he didn't want to publicly communicate at all and i always found it absolutely ridiculous that you saw kenny on television doing a, a bt advert and which was based around the phrase it's good to talk Well, I never saw Kenny talk all the time he was at Newcastle. His public image
0: was hugely different. It's complete contradiction to that of Kevin Keegan. I think Shearer says in an interview again on YouTube, you'll you'll find it, and he says, "He says the right man at the wrong time." I think he says if if Kenny had come um, a few managers down the line, it'd probably been the right appointment. And I guess in many ways that would be fair to say because if you play such different football to Kevin Keegan and, and, and while Sir Bobby was never as attacking, you, you know, he still liked he still liked to send players forward. So the change there wouldn't have been too different. But like you say, Kenny was, was different to Keegan the way he played. So there would have had to have been, you know, wholesale changes. And that's what actually happened. Hindsight, do you think it was a mistake for um, the board to appoint someone um, when they probably would have known what was on the corner in terms of changing tactics, changing formation?
1: I'm not certain that they went that deep into it. Um, You know, directors often don't. Uh, I think they just saw the possibility of getting Kenny Dalglish because of Alan's influence with Kenny Dalglish. And if you looked at his record as a manager, having won the the title with both Liverpool and Blackburn, and us having just finished... um, us up he would be the one to take us to the next spot. His public PR was so bad in comparison to to Kevin Keegan that I think he really didn't have a chance. Now, the interesting thing, forgetting just the tactical side of the whole thing, is that if Bobby Robson had come to, then Dalglish can come later down the line if you so wish, but if, if Bobby Robson had followed Kevin Keegan, he was in a different way as charismatic as Keegan. He knew how to work an audience, he knew how to work the press, he was terrific on television, and players loved him. He would have continued the feel the public feel good factor that had been built by Keegan. And in fact, when he did eventually come along, he restored that feel-good factor and then we lost it again when Bobby left. But but Bobby following Keegan would have been perfect
0: because publicly it would have been seamless. So it finished runners up, like we say, that was kind of already halfway there due to, oh, due, yes, it due was. to Keegan. Yes um, it was. So take me into that that end of that season, that, that pre-season Uh, Feeling Was there general optimism that uh, they could build on that second place and they they could maybe even go for the title yet again and and potentially win it this time around?
1: Well, I mean, with hindsight, which is always a wonderful thing, Newcastle United ought to have gone from the bases they had when Kevin Keegan took to his toes and left. The basis that was within that club, Newcastle United, ought to have gone on and won the title and established himself as a top three side for years to come. Um, but, as I say, for some reason, uh, Dalish wanted to do his own thing, which included um, smashing up the entertainers. Now, I'll ask you a question if Newcastle United today, What are we short of? I think the answer is goals. We cannot score goals. We haven't got one player on the books that'll get 10 goals in a season. Kenny Dalglish came in to Newcastle in the twin strikers with Shearer and Ferdinand. How lucky can you get that you don't even have to buy them? They're there waiting for you. And what did he do at the end of the season? Got rid of one of them. Now, why on earth... Would you do that? The simple reason for that was that Kenny wanted to go with, and play with a single striker. And choosing between the two, the single striker was naturally and quite rightly going to be Shearer. But why he didn't want to go with two and honest when he had those two, I don't know. And of course, he followed that up by not only did we get rid of ferdinand under horrendous circumstances which you will know only too well when shearer as ferdinand was about to sign for Spurs. Shearer got badly injured at Everton and um, wasn't going to play for Yonks, so we ended up with neither of them. But he got rid of Ferdinand, he got rid of Ginola, he got rid of Beardsley, he got rid of Lee Clark, he got rid of Beresford, he got rid of Tino Asprey. He was only here 20 months. That was an awful big slice of the entertainers that disappeared
0: during Kenny's time here. Quite the demolition job. Um, I mean, we'll we'll go on to Les Fernandes in a moment, but one of the, the signings that you forget about, Des Hamilton was his first signing in March. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a couple months after he arrived. Big name, eh? Whatever happened to him? I mean, that, yeah, uh, not the best place to start. But on Sir Les then... Yeah. Talk me through when you, you got the call and someone said, hey, look, he's, he's off down the road here. Talk me through your initial reaction. Horrified,
1: horrified, because I've always been a great lover of goal scorers. I believe they are the life and soul of the party, they're the party, they're the lifeblood of football. Of course they are. They're the blue ribbon guys, they're the four-minute milers. they strikers, score goals, football's all about goals. And we had two of the very, very best in harness at that time in Shearer and Ferdinand, and... Shearer's love of Newcastle United is well known and totally undoubted because of the length of time he was here and what he he did here in the all-time goal-scoring record. But Les Ferdinand loved Newcastle United as well and had no wish to go whatsoever and was really hurt for the second time. He was hurt the first time when he lost the number 9 shirt because KK told him he was taking it off him and giving him a. Given it to Shearer, and you can understand that because Shearer is the ultimate number nine. Uh, You can totally understand that. He swallowed that and began to understand it himself because it was just a shirt, even though it was an iconic shirt. But then to be told that you're not wanted at Newcastle United, after him and Shearer had had a phenomenal season. In fact, had they been fit and played the whole season together, it might have been a totally different... Ball game. They lost a lot of the season between them um, through individual injuries. Uh, but I just couldn't believe it because we got these against all odds, having got rid and gambled about Andy Cole leaving us and gambled that a 40 goal man left us. And it was because Keegan made the pledge to fans, I will get you the right replacements, and eventually come up with Shea and Ferdinand, which was absolutely wonderful. Uh, Ferdinand going was a complete shock, it was dismay but it, it's coupled, isn't it, with, you, you, all right, you're going to say Peter Beardsley was of a certain age when he went Janola was absolutely fed up because he had stayed at Newcastle in not gone to barcelona because kevin keegan said stay here and the world will be your oyster we will be in everything etc etc and then kk took to his toes and ginola felt aggrieved um a spear loose cannon wonderful wonderful football etc but think of what we we brought in then um, and there was a few there was some exceptions, some very good Kenny Dalgish signings, but in the main, when you think of Des Hamilton coming in, when you think of Gary Brady coming in, uh, Kenny's son Paul Dalgish coming in, Andreas Anderson coming in. Now, forgive me, but every time I see a centre-forward playing an Alice band, I wonder how many teeth he's going to be willing to lose uh, through sticking his head in there uh, on corners and ruffling feathers. Unfortunately, he didn't do too much of that. Uh, then we had the Dads Army signings, um, which was uh, Barnes from Liverpool, 34, Ian Rush from Liverpool, 36, Stuart Pierce 35. Now, if those three guys had been signed in the pump, there wasn't better players around. But they weren't signed in the pump. that were signed when they old-age pensioners. And, and to replace the sort of guys I've just talked about, Ferdinand, Ginola, Beardsley, Aspire, uh just wasn't going to work. And the difficulty is, one signing that was a massive flop, but ought not have been, was John Thomson, Thomason, um, who was signed, but he was never a striker. He was signed to play what we would say a number 10 these days, to play in the hole between midfield and the front. And he did play just behind Shearer pre-season and looked good. But then Shearer got this massive injury, as we know, and at the same time Ferdinand was in the process of being sold and wouldn't come back. Uh, Of course he wouldn't come back at the 11th hour. And so John Dahl thomason all of a sudden was the target man playing up front. Well, he lacked the physical strength and he had no pace. That wasn't his game. He scored four goals and 35 appearances for us, which sounds absolutely awful in is totally indifferent. But the guy went on to play for Fienaude in AC Milan. He scored 22 goals and 76 appearances for AC Milan. He played for Denmark, he got 112 international caps, scored 52 goals. I kept running into him with World Cup finals because I covered the World Cup finals for the Crown every four years. And there was John Dahl thompson who looked a totally different player. He was unlucky, in fairness, to be played out of position and that killed him at Newcastle.
0: Won a Champions League as well. Of course um, he did uh, He was only sub in the final But yes he did Just on that note Before I ask you Just a final question About Les Ferdinand You say there about Someone being played out of position Being forced to play in a role mm. That they're not Maybe used to mm. We've not got a dissimilar Situation at the moment I thought you might bring that up We, we, actually, we, we disagree on this This fellow I think We, we do disagree on him Yes, and We're talking about Joe Linton We are Just to bring it into the 2020 year Yeah A similar situation do you think? Not at all <laughs> uh, and the reason why I think
1: not at all is because I don't think that um, uh, Joe Linton is going to win a European uh, Champions League and I don't think he's going to get 112 caps for Brazil. Now, But before you finish, and I know what you're going to say, Andrew, is is it a similar situation, i.e. played out of his best position as John Doll Thomason was? But John Doll Thomason was signed us knowing full well what his right position was which was the hole behind the centre forward if you like that little bit of middle ground between the midfield and the strikers and was forced by his desperate set of circumstances to play up front We paid a club record £40 million for Joe Linton, having scouted him for two years and been quite happy to see Rafa leave because it means we could then bring Joe Linton in. So we must know what Joe Linton's best position is, but we've only ever played him as a centre-forward. So did we spy him as a centre-forward? And if we did then it's a bad deal because he's got uh, one Premier League goal in 23 Premier League appearances. Now, I suggest that Alan Shearer, Supermark or Jackie Milburn would have cut their throat if their record had been going to get anywhere near that. Now, if he's not a centre-forward, which a lot of people think he isn't, and I think he isn't, a centre forward, but I don't know what he is, but he isn't a centre forward. Um but without being cruel, if the lad if there's a footballer in there and he's not a centre forward, why did we play pay forty million pounds to pay him to play him exclusively as a centre forward? He's not filling in because of, of injuries. He started the season as our first choice centre forward. John Dal
0: Thompson didn't do that. He didn't. Uh, final question on, on, on Les Fernand. Uh, kind of stories that kind of felt he was, he was too old. Or rather, the £6 million offered for a 31, 32-year-old was too good to turn down. But, I mean, he went on to score another 50-odd goals in the Premier League. Of course, so. he did. of course he did. And while there's no transfer fees involved, signing Bonds and signing Rush to play upstairs
1: well, That was up the front. next... Wasn't going to uh, solve that problem I mean, in place of Ferdinand, was it?
0: I watched, uh, I, w- I watched, I think it was John Barnes' debut um, on YouTube that day. And he scores, maybe it wasn't his deb- debut, but I think it was against Southampton. He scores two goals, a um, couple of headers, I think they were, and the lack of mobility. Oh, well, at it, it, this stage, I
1: mean, it was just like giving them a pension bringing them up to Newcastle. I mean, I haven't seen a, a, a better center for I mean, Ian Rush, you, you talk about Shearer, you talk about Supermac, and you talk about Jackie Melbourne, Ian Rush was right in there, and some would argue that he, he was better. Mm. Um, he was sensational. Uh, but he wasn't sensational at the time we, we got him. Um, and, and that was one of the sadnesses. In fairness... And by the way, if, you know, we, we talk about Kenny's buying and I, I want to come on to what he did well here, but, well, you know, when we say that Kenny bought badly, I think he, he did do us a favour eventually because he gave us £36 million for Andy Carroll, if you remember. It was so... And, and that price... And I think Andy was staggered. And that price... That's the one thing that I can't say about Ashley. Uh, saying yeah, you know he took that money, mm. s- he sold our centre forward at thirty six million. You had to take that money. Never mind taking Ferdinand's money at thirty six million. You had to take that money. But in fairness to Kenny, um, because we ought to be fair, because uh, you know it sounds as if I'm very biased against him. I've got as a player, he's the mo- one of the most sens- most sensational British player. I've seen in an awful long time. Wonderful, wonderful. And I don't decry what he did at Liverpool and Blackburn at all. He just didn't happen at Newcastle. But he did sign for Newcastle, and he was only here 20 months, remember. Two players that become absolute legends here. Well, three players have become legends here Gary Speed and Shea Given. He'd had Shea Given at Blackburn as reserve keeper. And, and formed him out on loan and everything. And he went and got Gary Speed, who was wonderful Tremendous. for this club. Shea Given, the best goalkeeper Newcastle United have had in my time. And remember, I go back more than 50 years as a reporter, in a lifetime as a uh, as a supporter. Uh, Shea Given, the best. And in the summer that he was about to leave... He signed Diddy Haman, who only played one season here and wasn't hardly a favourite of um, the fans because of the way he left, etc., etc. But he did go on to achieve everything with Liverpool and in Europe. And Nobby Solano, who was the third yeah. legend to come in on Dalglish's watch. The trouble with that is he signed a man and Solano two games in the new season. He got the tin
0: tack, and that was that was the end of of Kenny Dalglish. We hope we've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki Dealership Group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from.
1: Hi, it's Finn Dwar from the Irish History Podcast and this is a Staycast from ACAST. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the ACast app or wherever you get podcasts.
0: So, just talk me through then, um, going back to that that summer of his only full season when you're seeing Barnes and Rush being unveiled nice sunny day they've got a football on their hands What are you, what's going through your mind? The same is what went through my mind when I saw Newcastle
1: United um, appointing Ozzy Dalglish, Hullet, uh, and Souness as his managers uh, these are two of the greatest players in the world but we get them when it's too late these others were the, the greatest players in world football, but we got them as managers. Wrong place, wrong time. It was too late, but you've always got to retain your, your respect for Rush and Bonds as players, as I retain the utmost respect for Kenny Dalglish as a wonderful footballer. But at the time they came to Newcastle, it was wrong for Newcastle. It might have been right for them to a certain extent, but it certainly wasn't right for us. And you looked at it and you saw what was going out the door and you, you hear that Ferdinand is going out because of age, you hear Beardsley's going out because of age. And, OK, if you're going to say that, that's your argument. But that argument goes out the window when you bring in Stuart Pearce, John Barnes and Ian Rush. And um, You know, the age thing is gone. And... Um, When it was all over and when it was all done and dusted, Tino um, he told me, you know, he said, Dalgish ruined entertainers. We should have won the league uh, following uh, what happened with KK, but instead he dismantled a great squad. And sadly, that is Asprey's right in that. And you've got to remember, this is the man who scored a hat-trick, famously, against Barcelona in an epic win-up here, which was in the Dalglish era. And Tino had been excited by the Dalglish appointment because he knew what the man was in football and what a legend he was, but in the end was bitterly disappointed. Uh, in fairness to Kenny... To Kenny um, Tino took some handling. (laughs) There's no question about that. Um, But it was a full-time occupation. But uh, it was true. In that second season, in 97-98, we only finished 13th when reality set in and players started leaving and inferior players started coming. It was interrupted by the Champions League with the massive result against Barcelona here. And... The run to the FA Cup final at Wembley 98, the first of the two back-to-backs to Wembley um, but in fairness that run to Wembley camouflaged uh, a lot of things because we didn't actually beat a top top side on the way, it's, it's a bit like Newcastle this season so far so far when we've only played Rochdale and Oxford and we've got West Brom to come, there's not a even the Premier League side in there. If you go back and remember, Andrew, that year when we went to Wembley under Dalglish, in the first round we won 1-0 away to Everton. In the third round, our first round, Ian Rush, surprisingly, scoring on Merseyside, enjoyed that against Everton, one of his rare moments for us. We then played an on league side, Stevenage, in, in the fourth round, drew 1-1 down there and only won 2-1 up here against the non-league side and um, that was an interesting game for me because the centre forward with Stevenage at the time and he was only on the subs bench at Newcastle was a lad called Paul Thompson who was a born in Newcastle a complete Newcastle United fan and I had sold him to Stevenage when I was manager of Gateshead he was my top scorer at Gateshead he went to stevenage who were pushing for the league suffered a horrendous injury within a few games of going there uh, was just recovering from a very bad injury um, didn't play in the normally he would be the centre forward automatically didn't play in the in the first game against newcastle down there but got on as a sub up here and can you imagine having been with gates at, he got on as a sub. He was the centre-forward in one team and Alan Shearer was the centre-forward in another. He was a Geordie lad who was a Newcastle United fan, a wonderful moment for him. But having scraped through against Stevenage, we then beat Tranmere at home 1-0, Barnsley at home 3-1 and then the semi-final against Sheffield United one 1-0. So we didn't sort of knock holes into walls by beating all the top sides. We beat Everton which was a good result. Steven Tranmere, Barnsley and Sheffield United to get to Wembley and then got well-cost at Wembley, of course, by Arsenal. Um, so we're grateful and I hope we're at Wembley again this season by playing absolutely nobody again because <laughs> the record books don't show that, you know. The record books show we went to Wembley in 1998. It doesn't say that you, you took two games to beat Stevenage on the way there. Uh, so let's hope that can happen again. But it wasn't
0: as fabulous a run and it was an Alan Shearer-inspired run, mm. of course. Well, but maths is correct, from the 1st of December that season, Castle only won four Premier League games... Um and lost quite a few. They only won eleven the, the, across the whole season. Mm, mm. So I mean that shows just how bad it was going. Yes. Maybe.
1: Yes. I mean without a shadow of doubt. I, I I'm never certain why Newcastle United under Freddie and Douglas um always allowed managers to spend the whole summer at the club and recruit players and then sack them. At the beginning of a new season, I mean, they, they sacked uh, Kenny. They allowed him to get uh, Didier Man and Nobby Solano, etc., in the summer. Then two games into a new season, he was gone. They allowed Bobby Robson to have the whole summer and then four games into a new season was gone. The timing of that and losing faith that rapidly, two games in, four games in, if they, I suspect they were losing faith before then... But um, the timing certainly was
0: crazy. I was going to ask about them, because obviously you're in charge of a club, you're Premier League runners up twice, and then suddenly you're looking at a mid-table finish. Did they just get swept along along in Cup Fever? Is that why Kenny was allowed to continue? Because part of me is saying, well, you've got this team, you've taken the decision to put your own stamp on it, but Core of this team have finished second twice and you're struggling to get in that top 10. Surely that had to set the alarm bells ringing. I think it did, but of course,
1: they're also going to look at it because they're trying to pick the positives out of the thing, etc. And you can't turn the whole thing on its head and say, We've just had two successive Premier League runners up. We've gone in the Champions League and we've beaten Barcelona at home and we've made the FA Cup final. Now, that ain't bad. But it wasn't good and they realised that uh, and things changed. But the interesting thing was at the time, um, it's interesting to get the views of outsiders sometimes and not just we are so close to the action. Are we knee-jerk? Do we demand too much? Do we hope for too much uh, but the independent the newspaper the independent said just after uh, Dalglish left Newcastle he said Dalglish's 20 months at Newcastle United Football Club was the on- only part of his career that came anywhere near failure and I think in truth you know that's true when you look at Kenny's career certainly he's a player and with his two Premier League wins as a manager, um, it was, this was the, the downside of Dalglish's career. Yet in fairness to him, he always said, he never badmouthed this club later on, he always said that this was a terrific club with a huge following, um, a vibrant city, and bear in mind that he had lived in Glasgow and Liverpool, with Celtic in in and Liverpool, so he knows about passionate football areas, and he said this was another passionate football area. And if ever anyone asked him about taking the job at Newcastle United, he would say without hesitation, "Do it. It's a football city." And good on him for saying that because um, it's true, uh, without a shadow of doubt. Of course, we staggered from um, from Kenny into Woodhullot um who took us to a cup final again in much in much the same way as Kenny had done and with the same outcome which was a slaughtering at Wembley. Um, the first under Kenny it was by Arsenal who did the double and under Hullett the next season it was by Manchester United who did the treble. So we're uh, unlucky to get clubs that good in a final, but we'd been lucky before that. Wood Hullitt in a totally different sort of way. You talk about Kenny Dalish dismantling the entertainers, Rud Hullet destroyed people like um, Alan Shearer and Rob Lee, et cetera, at Newcastle, dropped Shea Given for the cup final after he played in the early rounds and put in uh, Steve Harper, who'd only played, I think was his 10th game was the cup final for Newcastle, and... Um, so these really big-name managers certainly took a sledgehammer to a walls when they came into Newcastle.
0: Just concentrate on that FA Cup final, like you say, against Arsenal. Always a sure hitting the post in the second half. If that had gone in... Different game.
1: Oh, we can we can go down all those routes, and you know, if Joe Linton hadn't hit the bar and, and scored a goal, would he have ten by now? You probably would say yes. Uh, I would put, say no. You'd have two by now. And um, but yeah, you can always go down that route. But to be truthful, uh, we didn't deserve. In '74, we deserved nothing against the great Liverpool side. In 98 against Arsenal, in 99 against Man United, we deserved what we got, which is two defeats. The nearest we came to a good Wembley performance by Newcastle. In 76 they did well when um, against Manchester City when Alan Gowling equalised. But of more recent times was the semi-final with Bobby Robson when we played Chelsea and... Uh, Gus Poyet put Chelsea ahead, then we dominated and Rob equalised and I felt we were gonna go on to win that semi final and go to the final. We got carried away and Gus Poyet nailed us on the break and that was the end of that. But um no, I, you know, if this hadn't happened if, if, if Arsenal hadn't scored two goals it would have been no note. If Manchester
0: mm-hmm. United hadn't scored three goals it would have been no note. Let me let me reword the question then, Gabriel. <laughs> Going into that game were you expecting anything other than a defeat? I was hoping, but
1: in my head, in my heart, I was hoping, and you can get one-offs. Wigan, not so long ago, beat Manchester City in a cup final at Wembley. I was hoping, but I was expecting us to lose. This was an Arsenal team that was going to do the double. This was a Manchester United team that was going to do the treble. Um it, in '74, this was a Liverpool side that was about to go on and do all the wonderful European things they did. They were colossal uh, matches and you had to jump Beecher's Brook to win um, to win them and unfortunately, we didn't do that. Uh, so no, I, I was fearing what happened and hoping for a miracle.
0: Let me just ask you then to describe... What a day out at Wembley is like at the old Wembley Stadium, the two mm. towers. I remember watching it on TV, uh, that the flags flying. It was a lovely, uh, summer's day.
1: Absolutely marvellous, uh, wonderful, wonderful occasion, and that's why my love affair with the FA Cup has remained to this day. I know. It's diminished in the public eye and young people today most certainly because we've got so much of the Champions League, so much of the Europa Cup, the Premier League is all-consuming and rightly so. But I was brought up in an era where the FA Cup was God. When Jackie Milburn was playing and I was a little lad watching it, there was only the title in the FA Cup. And believe it or not, the FA Cup in the 50s when Newcastle won three times in five years was looked upon as greater than the league title by a lot of people in the country because of the showpiece final game at the end of the season. There's no piece, showpiece final game in the league. You win it at some stage, but you have this wonderful day out at Wembley. And, um, you know, unfortunately, when we won three times in five years, I wasn't physically there. I was a little Ben in, in in short trousers and a, a, a cap. Um but I sat transfixed in front of the telly. When I went to Wembley in 74, 76, 98 and 99, we lost all, all those times. But nevertheless, the build-up to it, the excitement in the city, the Newcastle fans who adored the day out made the whole occasion. And I'm the greatest believer that if Newcastle get that again, be it this season next season or the season after, when we go, regardless of where the FA Cup stands in the pecking order of modern-day football, this city will be like no other on the day we go to Wembley. And everybody will buzz like they did those times because it's a special day. Geordie's loves special days. Uh, we would go back and just think if we actually
0: won instead of finishing runners-up this time. I always remember uh, as a kid going to see the the team coming back. Yeah. And the crowds were unbelievable. I had to be be lifted up into a tree, I think, just just to get a glimpse of where they were
1: standing. In 74, when the team come back and we'd lost 3-0 to Liverpool and were lucky to get nil. Um we hadn't been at the races. Bob Munker and the boys were embarrassed remember Bob Munker had come here when they'd won a European trophy and, and shown it to the crowd. This time he was embarrassed because they'd got hammered so badly and he felt somehow he'd let the fans down. The reception when they when they arrived in Newcastle was absolutely phenomenal because the, the fans had had the day out, they'd had their day in the sun, but they remembered as well what had happened on the way there. Everybody remembers in 74 we didn't get a kick at Wembley. But those who were lucky enough to be supporters at the time also remember that we won every round from the third to the semi-final away from home and that our centre forward, Malcolm MacDonald scored away from home in every round. So that was a wonderful run to Wembley, And again, those that were at the two semi-finals of 98 and 99 and saw Alan Shearer score 1-0 to beat Sheffield United, then the next year Alan Shearer scored twice to beat Spurs in the semi-final. They were our cup finals to win the sammies, to actually win them, like Hillsborough in, in 74 when Supermac scored two against Burnley. They stick in your mind. You realise you're going to Wembley, you've seen your hero centre-forward score the goals to take you there in the semi-final. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful days. Pray to come
0: back. And if it's this season, I wouldn't mind a bit. (laughs) Um, So we'll we'll, we'll close off just a few more questions on Daglish. I mean, first of all, that season that they finished 13th, Mm. 44 points... Bolton Wanderers finished 18th on 40 points. Was there a worry that actually they could get dragged into this relegation battle? From what I recall,
1: no. Uh, I I think we always felt we had too much for that. But it was a culture. Because also, you see, this was interspersed, what you've got to remember, Andrew, it wasn't a relentless run to oblivion. And and looking at it now, not many points off a relegation position, but it wasn't a a relentless run to oblivion because yeah, we had in between we had the Champions League in Barcelona, we had the run to Wembley in the Cup Final, so it wasn't gloom, gloom, gloom followed by gloom, gloom, gloom. We we had Barcelona in there, we had the FA Cup run in there as well. I don't think we ever. Felt they were going to go down, but suddenly, when the season ends and you haven't won the FA Cup and the Europe thing is just confined to the history books, you suddenly wake up and think, By Jove, we've fallen, haven't we? We've from two successive runners up, we've just gone into the middle pack into non entity land rapidly, and having had the Keegan years. It wasn't just finishing runners-up, but it was going through from the old third division on the brink of to the Premier League to finishing second. The glory years were suddenly starkly at an end. And while they were revived by Bobby, we missed the opportunity again Mm. after Bobby, just as we missed the opportunity with Daglish.
0: So on to Daglish's sacking then. We've mentioned the summer and the players that he brought in, you know. Uh, Hamon, four point five million. Solano, two and a half million. Even a little mention for uh, Gavosh, you know, three and a half million. Well, yes, I, I told you there was some bad signings <laughs> in that lot, and uh, there, well, there's
1: a, It was great at centre forwards. so Let's get rid of Ferdinand, and, and let's have Gavosh, and
0: let's have Ian Rush on a zimmer for him. <laughs> well But we, I mean, you've asked the question already, sort of. But why spend all that money and then? Allow him to go in the season, two draws, he's then sacked, and then Huller is, is unveiled as manager literally the same day. So yeah. that yeah. suggests that yeah. those talks had been going on for quite a while, do you think? Well, there was a lot behind the
1: scenes, of um, uh, which, without going into it publicly, because it's unfair to Kenny and it's unfair to uh, Newcastle board, I guess. But there was other things going on behind the scenes apart from the results. And. Um, Kenny had become disillusioned. I was involved in one thing where I printed something in the paper, and Kenny come on to me, or Terry McDermott phoned me from the training ground and said, I've got the boss here, they, they, um, he's furious with what you did, etc., etc., and then Kenny come on the phone, and I explained to Kenny off the record what had happened, and uh, he suddenly went, Wow. That was a different ball game. And he actually said in the papers, in, in the morning papers, that I was right to carry the story based on what, what I told. knew and what I'd been told. But it was again... And then... So the, there was a, a falling of trust between the hierarchy and the manager and the guy in the in, in the middle of uh, if that was uh, the Rottweiler, of course, who would um, come in with John Wall. And there was a fall, there wasn't just a matter of results going to 13th because, of course, that should have brought a sacking if a sacking was going to come at the end of that season, not Mm. the beginning of the next. Um, But there was suddenly everything disintegrated behind the scenes Um, and Kenny was as disillusioned as the board were and a part of the ways become absolutely inevitable. And Newcastle, again... Went down exactly the same route as they'd done with Dalish. Let's get a huge name, and let's get a one that has been successful in the course. Woodhull, as a player, he is about the only player I can think of in that era that, as a player, excited me a little bit more than even Kenny Dalish had done. I thought he was. I used to watch him on um, in Italian football, on the Italian program on Channel Four on a Sunday afternoon, and he was quite sensational and of course he'd won the FA Cup with Chelsea and he looked to the board another high profile perfect fit no he wasn't
0: so who did a worse job Hullet or leash from my point of view it looks like Hullet underestimated just how big of a job Newcastle was leash just made the wrong decisions would that be a fair to a great to a great extent um, I don't know how passionate
1: Hull it was about the job, uh, to be perfectly truthful. Um, because I was in love with the entertainers, I find it difficult to accept Kenny dismantling them so readily and so ruthlessly. But, because if you do that, you've got to replace them with quality. And while you could argue eventually that quality might have, have come in with mm. Shea Given and, and Speed and Solano... Uh, you know, we also got the dad's army and the other guys, and uh, well, we got 13th from being second. Case of um, two
0: too quickly. It was too yes, fast.
1: yeah. Or oh, without without the
0: shadow, of a doubt. Rudd Hullard
1: would have been as destructive uh, if if he'd stayed any longer, because he was driving Alan Shearer and and um, Rob Lee out of the club and they, they had been the backbone and continued to be shearer especially uh, and i even with Alan shearer's complete love of newcastle united i wonder how long he could have stayed at newcastle united if hullett had stayed his manager because it was an impossible situation and it was the lowest ebb he was ever at in a very illustrious career and it was rescued only by Bobby Robson identifying the major problem immediately which was Shearer being offside, not onside and getting him back onside and playing the way Alan Shearer could. So in truth two very big-name managers who had
0: been quite sensational players sledgehammered the the teams. If you'd done it, if Daglish had dismantled the team in drips and drabs, would it have worked? Could you could you see it working under Daglish at another time? Or, like I say, have you just taken his time rather than literally driving a bus through it? It's a great question um, because uh, I've never considered Darliech
1: doing it at Newcastle at a different time managerial wise. After you know he didn't do anything of any consequence, having left Newcastle. His great years as manager really were 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 Liverpool and and, and Blackburn, Um, and I didn't know how much his appetite was there after Blackburn. He readily sort of gave up on that job, etc., etc. Um I sometimes look at managers, you know, and think when they've been truly great players, sometimes that either the standards are too high or they expect too much. For example, Rud wanted to take Shearer down a peg because Shearer was Mr. Newcastle United and Rud thought he'd been a better player than Alan Shearer and wanted to make the point. Um instead of having the, the man on side. Uh, Kenny Dalglish, it was certainly the wrong appointment at the wrong time and wrong for Kenny because the, the crowd was so in love with KK and his charismatic way of handling PR between the manager's dressing room and the fans. And Kenny Dalglish was not interested at all in... Buttering up the fans or keeping the fans well informed—he wasn't interested in that side of management at all. Which that was his biggest mistake. It was if you're going to follow Keegan, if you're going to follow Keegan, because we'd been grounded in Keegan, and both the press and the fans were open arms. It, it. what was happening publicly I will accept from Alan that in the dressing room it was a totally different ball game because I wasn't in there and Alan was and, 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 and he, he, there is a lot of people who got a lot of time and say he's one of the fun guys you see people used to always say about Alan Shearer that Alan Shearer was, was you know when he first come on match of the day was was boring and, and, and far too straight laced and saying nothing he was the funniest guy, what you could imagine, away from the television cameras. And so maybe it was the same with Kenny in the dressing room. But certainly the public image that was portrayed by Kenny was absolutely wrong for Newcastle United after the openness of what we'd had with
0: Kevin Keegan. A final question then. We've, we've got your negative there. We've got your main mistake. Give me a one positive. About that. what? Give me, that, give me one positive from that 18 months of Kane Taglish.
1: Great, great question. Um, the one positive I could say was that having dismantled the entertainers and brought in Dad's army, he did, in that 20 months, give us three legends. Shea Given, Nobby Solano and Gary Speed and for that
0: alone I say thank you Kenny well there you have it thank you very much for listening to the latest episode of Give Us Cornets goodbye from me and from me thank you very much for listening
1: Hi there it's Caroline foreign from Owning It the Anxiety Podcast and this is a Staycast from Acast please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. (music)